0: you're listening to faith community church's weekly podcast we hope this week's message from god is insightful and an inspiration to you turn to philippians chapter 2 verse 1 and i've this morning asked jonathan hughes to read it i just want to Take an opportunity to say thank you to Jonathan. Jonathan, as you know, has served as a worship leader in this church. He's now been on the elder board for the last two years? going on to something like that. Yeah, it's just been so fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's been on it during the most interesting times in church history during a pandemic. (laughs) Um, He's super good at what he does in terms of both musically as well as he's really a wise man. And we're really, really thankful that he serves on the board. So I, I wanted him to come and
1: read the scripture this morning. So Jonathan, please. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is god who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of god without fault in a warped and crooked generation then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life and then i will be able to boast on the day of christ that i did not run or labor in vain But if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should become should be glad and rejoice with me. Philippians two, one through eighteen, the word of God. Thank you, Jonathan.
0: Man, I, I have learned so, so much about myself during a pandemic. I've learned a ton. And uh, I want to tell you a little story about myself. And this is just one illustration of many of this one issue I've learned about myself. As many of you know, our church works in a partnership with a new medical organization in Santa Cruz that's trying something audacious and, and fun. And it, it, it's an organization called Cruise Medmo, which is short for Cruise Medical Mobile, who's trying, their ultimate goal is to try to bring predictably and fairly priced urgent care to your doorstep through vans, through a fleet of vans. And so they were trying to ramp up this whole idea. It's like, great idea. I love this kind of stuff. I love people who are trying to be disruptors in industries and with new ideas of doing things in a better, more improved way, particularly to help, help people who need medical care. And so, um, They were getting ramped up, and COVID hit, bang, right before they could even get started with what they really wanted to do, which is urgent care to everybody's doorstep. So COVID hits, and so as they did, as it began, me... Pastor Andy Lewis met with Doctor Andy Lewis, serious. He's the guy who's starting this. I love another entrepreneur with my name to create a kind of a, a collaboration where they were using the parking lot space of this building to provide care to the community around us by providing rapid PCR tests for COVID as well as vaccinations and boosters. And it was I I, I love being able to love our community. I love being able to be a part of that. I love being able to kind of use whatever little influence I have to set this up and help to bless our community. But do you know what I discovered about myself? When it came time for me to have to get tested a few times and to get a booster, I leveraged my position with Cruise Medmo to save myself precious time so that I could cut to the head of the line. I was more than willing to leverage my established privilege to get what I wanted when I wanted it. And you're like, oh, Andy, come on, you're a busy pastor and stuff like that. There probably wasn't that big of a line. Well, no, 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 hold on a second. Let me correct you on that. That was when in the heavy weeks of December, that parking lot was as full as a busy packed Easter Sunday, six days a week with people desperately trying to get rapid PCR tests. I still leveraged my position. What I'm trying to tell you is this is one example of many, that there is this nature within me that wants to love. I I do. You know that about me. I want to love, and I want to love others. I want to love my community, but still holds as much leverage as I can for my preferred outcomes as I'm loving. To leverage as much of my preferred outcomes of things like, I want you to like me more. As I love you. I want to leverage that outcome. I want to feel better about myself as I love you. I want to leverage that outcome. I want to, um, you know, get as much of the good things out of this act of love as I can for myself while I'm loving. I kind of like to leverage that stuff. I also like to leverage protecting myself against loss. I don't want to lose time. That's sobering for me to say. I don't want to lose power and privilege, pride, possession, position. And this grip on leverage within me, it's present in all the places of my life where I want to love and I'm trying to love. It's present. Uh, It's present in my relationship with God. It's present in my relationships with the very significant people in my life. It's present in my relationships with you in this church. It's present in my relationships with people in the world. Now, I know what I'm saying to you. I'm not admitting something that's unique only to me. I'm not. We all attempt to love. We're all trying to love while still clinging to the leverage, the levers of something. Now, when I'm talking about this, I, I, what I'm not talking about is I'm not talking about naked selfishness, right? The obvious stuff where it's this complete just... Obvious selfishness that's so easy to recognize is how dangerous and damaging that is to, to relationships. I'm not going after the obvious stuff. What I'm talking about is the deeper, really hard to see thing going on inside of us. When we're really wanting to love, we're really trying to love in our relationship, we really honestly are, but still holding on to the leverage that we have access to, to get the preferred outcomes that we want as we're loving, to try to protect ourselves as we're loving against the loss of our pride, the loss of our privileges, the loss of power. Now, having said all that and trying to observe that about our collective kind of a, oh, (laughs) here's the thing. Our relationships with the significant others in our lives, the significant people in our lives, it can't really flourish past the point where we're still holding on to our grip of leverage. It it, it can only go so far. Our um, relationships with the people of God, the church... Not, and not just this church, but other churches, other people in other churches, believers. It can't, it can't go any further. It can't be any deeper. It can't be more intimate than where we are desiring to preserve and protect our leverage. Um, our relationships with the yet-to-be people of God, what I like to say in my mind, of what that's what an unbeliever is. They're a yet-to-be person who's the people of God. Uh, my relationship with them, it really can't bless them. It can't bring the hope of the good news beyond my grip of leverage. You get what I'm saying? So today we're continuing this series, Stand Firm, Living the Joyful, Indestructible Life. And what we're doing is we're just just trying to do a verse-by-verse look at Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, a church influential, like Faith Community Church, I believe is influential and a church probably about the size of Faith Community Church based on most of the archaeological research of what churches in the first centuries kind of look like as a footprint. And so it's a letter I think, (laughs) I'll say this, I know I need it. I think we need it at this time, this strange time that we're in in 2022. So let's look at what the Word of God says to us today from what was read. After providing an update on his life situation, Paul now in chapter 2 pivots to a very heartfelt message to the people at Philippi. Paul has, in the previous weeks as we've studied it, Paul has talked about the wonderful fact, surprising fact, that God surprisingly was very much at work despite the mess surrounding Paul. So that let's just like summarize of chapter one. Paul was saying God was surprisingly at work. And then chapter two comes and he says, and yet, let me kind of unpack that a little bit. Things were really difficult for him. That's what we've been studying the first few weeks of this study. Very difficult for him. While at the same time, Paul reports to the church at Philippi, God is surprisingly still at work. Philippians 1.12, Paul said this. He says, what has happened has actually served to advance the gospel. Philippians 1.12. And yet, and that's where this meets us today in the text, yet the thing that had the potential to dismantle all of the good that God was trying to work to render in their shared struggles, the thing that had the power to dismantle all the good that God was trying to do was the flaws in their love for one another. The fissures in the love that they were trying to share. We see some of it in the letter where Paul talks about in chapter 1. He was dealing there in Rome with these competitive teachers. Fellow believers who were competitive with Paul. Who were trying to like marginalize him so that they could, you know, expand their brand. And go, hey look, I'm the leader now. I'm in charge. We read in chapter 4 verse 2 of these two women in the church who get named. We'll study it later in the series. Chapter 4, verse 2, if you want to flip over to it, he names these two ladies and he says to the church, would you please help them get along? Euodia and Syntyche, who were not getting along, they were kind of fighting and divisive with one another. We don't know exactly why, although I read a little bit from scholars and they think it's possible they couldn't worship together and they didn't get along with one another because they couldn't agree on masking and vaccination. (laughs) I'm totally kidding. But It was something like that, where it was like, really, we're being divisive about that, of all things? And so Paul says, look, here's the thing. He goes, the thing that has the power to dismantle everything that God is good, the good that God is surprisingly rendering, is this thing with the difficulty, the flaws of the love. And so Paul kind of walks through some things here. And the first thing is this, Paul describes his desires for the believers in Philippi. Now, if you read your translation, it says, if you have this, if you have that, if you have these things, probably better would be translated, because you have... Because you are people, he goes, I know I'm talking to people because you have gained so much in Jesus Christ. Because you have the spirit of God within you. Because you have been brought by the spirit into this caring, loving community that richly wants to try to love one another. Then because you've experienced so much love and so much care from God, live together, in our translation it says, in a like-minded way. In the original language, he wrote this letter in Greek. It would actually, I love this, it, it would translate be same-souled. Be same sold together. Be people who share a quality of love that ain't about leveraging. That leveraging goes out the window: leveraging your ambition, leveraging your conceit, leveraging your personal interests. The desire of Paul, and of course we believe this is in the inspired word of God, therefore also the desire of God, is to bring all people into this transformational encounter with Jesus' radical love. At that, when you, are, you encounter it, it sets in motion freedom from the destructive addiction to self, where all arrows are always pointing at you. And that's an addiction that's destructive. It'll kill you. And he says, that's what the whole thing is about. That's what my desire is for you. That's what God's desire is for you. Bring you into a transformational encounter with the radical, overwhelming, transformational love of Jesus Christ, where we become people who can care well for ourselves because we've been deeply and richly loved by Jesus, while at the same time can look out for others as same souls who are also to be loved by Jesus that's Paul's desire. By the way, a little sidelight, that's my desire for you and for our church is that we be people like that. But here's a good question. Great. That is a wonderful thing. I would like to hope that we could live in a community like that. What would that kind of desire, what would that look like? Like really? What would that actually really look like? Amazingly, Paul says, let me give you an illustration of what it looks like. And you know what his illustration is? Jesus. This is one of the most amazing illustrations ever put out there. The illustration is Jesus. Paul says, here's what I'm talking about my desire would look like. Here's my illustration. Here's what it would would look like in a real human being. He says this, in your relationships, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had. Now let me unpack that phrase, have the same attitude of mind, because if you just look at it cold, you'd think, so wait, Paul's commanding me to think like Jesus? Isn't that impossible because I'm not the Son of God? And you would be right to ask that question. Paul's not saying, I command you to do the impossible and think exactly like Jesus. What he's talking about is this. Be like those who are as you are in Christ. Those who are living in the transformational space of being saturated by the radical love of God. In your relationships, be like those who are as you actually are. You're in Christ. You're in this transformational space of being saturated by the radical love of God. Be like that. And then he gives this mind-shattering description of Jesus. And if it doesn't shatter your mind, you need to go back and read it this afternoon. It is this amazing description of who God is as God. Who the Son of God is. And and it, it holds within it thousands of sermons. Thousands. That can go in all kinds of directions to tell us about the glory of the person of Jesus Christ. I wish I could go there. I can't. But I do want to do this. I want to make some observations. Just three observations for what we're talking about this morning. Observations of this illustration. The first observation is this. We see in this illustration, Paul saying, Jesus set his privileges aside. Did you hear that? Jesus set his privileges aside for our benefit rather than leveraging his privileges for his benefit on his mission of love. And Paul says these words, he says, being in very nature God, that's what he did. But don't miss how important and significant that is. Because I think sometimes you and I can look at Jesus and think, oh, you know, God was just doing something really kind of crazy. It's just sort of an odd thing he decided to do to be merciful and gracious. No, no, no. What this is telling you and I is saying this. Being consistent with the core of who he is as God. This is what God, capital G-O-D, God does. This is what God does. This is how he exists. This is how he breathes. Being consistent with that, Jesus didn't desperately grasp his privilege. He set it aside for our benefit. That's observation number one. Observation number two, Jesus used his power for our benefit rather than using his power for his benefit. There are a lot of pastors out there on the North American evangelical landscape who need to take observation number two really seriously. And number three, observation, the humiliation, the cross, the humiliation that Jesus offered up to God became a vindication rendered by God. Humiliation turning into vindication. See, in Jesus, Paul illustrates a life that is not desperately grasping or leveraging its earned rights. I mean, hello, he's God in a bod. He's not leveraging his earned rights for itself, but instead is investing those rights for the sake of others, which include you and me who are here in worship right now. What an amazing illustration. And then this takes us to the last part of the passage that Jonathan read for us. This is Paul then leads to an appeal for an application in light of all of this. In view of everything that he's been talking about, Paul says this, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if you're churched at all, you're going, you know, this is what we do. Our brains are hardwired for condemnation, right? So we go, oh, no. I might not get to heaven or, you know, these kinds of things that we kick into and we're not actually reading the text. What Paul is saying is soberly work on and work out the full ramifications of being people who are saved and radically loved by Jesus. Be sober about that. Don't just go to church and, you know, oh, my church has Frappuccinos and then, you know, get a good word and then you go home. Be sober like this is important this is your life this is your eternity that's at stake that's going on now by eternity here's what let me clear what i'm saying paul is not talking about earning your salvation he's not talking about i can earn more security of god and protect myself from maybe he drop kicks me off the side of the rail of heaven because i did whatever and i didn't work it out fear with fear and trembling that's not what paul's talking about he's talking about partnering with the god who's working within us To become people who act according to his good purposes. To become people who live in love like Jesus. To go, that is a serious project of my life. And I don't go around my life thinking about how can I consume more goods? And what's the best credit card rate? And how do I get along with these other people? And I'm going to go with that tribe because they prefer this about mass. And I'm going to go with that tribe because they vote this way. It's like, stop with those projects. Those are not important at all paul wants philippi and us to wholeheartedly enter into the project the process of becoming this is your project with your life to become ungrumbling uncontaminated light givers in the universe who shine out the love of jesus christ that you've experienced and let it bubble up and out and over over you to shine like stars in the universe can i get an amen And that kind of outcome in the lives of the people of Philippi, Paul says at the very last part of this this section, he says, that kind of outcome, you know what I'll tell you, he says, look, even if I do get executed for my crimes against the state, I don't care. (laughs) Because if that's what gets rendered in your lives, I'm happy. I'm deeply content of this work that God's doing through you and in you. It's a lot to get into. And I, and I will be honest with you, we're, we're doing this whole letter with the, the church to the church at Philippi very quickly. I mean, we could subdivide these texts and there's just so much there. But for what we looked at this morning, I think there's an overriding idea that I think is really important for us to see and think about. And I know I need to. And that is that Jesus set aside his rights to love me well, freeing me to become someone who can love you well. The son of God had all the rights and privileges to have a front row parking space right directly into his office. And have all of those privileges. And he set those rights aside in order to love me really well so that I could be free to live in a transformational space with the radical love of Jesus that makes me, it transforms me over a lifetime. And it doesn't happen overnight. You can't snap your fingers after this one sermon and go, oh, I'm there. It doesn't work that way. You abide in that transformational space, but it starts to turn you into someone who can set aside your rights to love other people well. Because I want you to hear this there is no way. Stop thinking like church people. There is no way, it is impossible to be people who live and love, as Paul describes here, for the people of Philippi. It, 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 it will never happen, unless a miracle from heaven takes place. There's no way that you and I can be, and I'll put it up on the screen, Philippians 2, 2-4. through Here is Paul's desire. There's no way that you and I can be like-minded. Do you see the church being good at that right now? <laughs> it's, uh, no. There's no way we can be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, having humility, valuing others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each to the interests of others. I want you to see, you and I don't have the resources, no human being does, inside or outside of us, to pull that off. We can't pull it off, unless, here's the good news unless the reality of God is the crazy fact that the natural bent of the character of God is to lay aside his power as God and his privileges as God for the sake of of loving and living in community with his creation and created beings made in his image. That's, that I just quoted from Paul, from Philippians 2, it's impossible unless that's who God is and unless a human being stumbles into a relational experience with that kind of God, a God who doesn't grasp his rights but lays aside his rights for their benefit and they abide in that space a little while, something starts to change. When a regular broken and beautiful human being and we're all that we're both of those things all of us all the time we're both broken and beautiful when a regular broken and beautiful human being like you and my you and me we are actually brought into the miraculous experience of radical love from god we're set in the transformative space of being loved unconditionally and being loved greatly which sets you and me on a path of freedom a freedom to become as John, who wrote the book of 1 John, wrote in 1 John. We become people who love because he, Jesus, first loved us. It's being poured in and through us. We become those people who can love because he first loved us. Then we become people who really are shining stars. We become people who are shining stars who grow It's not an overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't snap your fingers and go, I'm going to do better at this. You sit in that transformational space of being radically loved. And we become shining stars who grow less and less desperate to hold on to our rights and our power and our privileges. And on the rare occasion when I go into social media to have to post something for the church and I see believers posting stuff, I go, folks, read Philippians 2 when you're talking about your rights and your powers and your privileges. We become people who grow less and less desperate to have to hold on to that lever. Then we become shining stars who grow in our capacity to love God without trying to use the gifts he's given us to leverage something more out of him. Then we become shining stars who grow in our capacity to love ourselves without using the gifts God has lavished upon us, our gifts and our smarts and our beauty and our creativity and all those things and all the gifts that he's lavished upon us to somehow leverage a better sense of our own personal significance and worth We can start to love ourselves because we're loved by God. Then we become shining stars who grow in our capacity to love others, believers and unbelievers alike, without somehow using the many privileges God has given us to somehow leverage a preferred outcome in our love project or to somehow leverage protection against loss in our attempts at these relationships. We need to work out our salvation, the fullness of what it means to be saved and radically loved with fear and trembling to fulfill God's good purposes. Meaning we got to be sober in a good way. Sober about receiving Jesus' gifts of love and then working out the full ramifications of how receiving his love equips us to love. Now here's where this all goes. I I know... (laughs) Uh, I know uh, I'm uncomfortable entering more deeply into Jesus' grace project of transforming me into that kind of shining star of love. It makes me really uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable because, for one, I don't like having some assurance of at least some good or preferred outcomes when I enter into a project trying to love somebody. I'll just admit it. I'm uncomfortable because I don't, I, don't, I don't like the probability of loss when I'm entering into the project of loving someone. I, I don't like the probability of I'm going to lose time. And if any of you know me, you're like, yeah, you, you really don't like to lose your time, do you? I don't like the possibility of losing power, my privileges, my pride, Possessions position. I'm uncomfortable with that. And I'm, I'm, I'm admitting this to you, not as a rhetorical device that pastors use going, yeah, but I really am comfortable with it. I'm uncomfortable with it. And even if I were to let go, of all the assurance of, the, of those things. If, I, if Jesus were able to do the transformational work of helping Andy let go of the assurance of the outcomes that benefit me as I'm loving you, if I could, and I'd love to be able to do that, if I could just let that go, and then I could let go of the probability of losses that I might incur by loving you, uh, I still really don't like the path, the path that this quality of love asks me to travel to get to the gateway of God's ultimate good. I don't like the path. I'm uncomfortable with the path that God's going to ask me to travel for the ultimate good that he wants to render in my life, the person I'm trying to love, and for his kingdom. I don't like, the more I think about it, the path that Jesus traveled to love me and the world. That that it was a path where, I'm quoting Paul, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to a fine, nope, death, even death on a cross. That he followed that path to arrive at the gateway of becoming Savior and Lord of life. I don't like that the path Jesus went through to love me and to love the world was excruciating humiliation to arrive at the gateway of exhilarating vindication by God the Father. And I'm admitting something, but I know you are as uncomfortable about that reality as I am. But to work out the full ramifications of being so saved by Jesus and so loved by Jesus that we're actually transformed into shining star lovers of God and lovers of ourselves and lovers of others, it means trusting God. When our Jesus-shaped acts of love were going to lead us down pathways of difficulty. And by the way, it almost always is going to be a pathway of difficulty to live a life of Jesus-shaped love but to trust God that going down that path at the end leads us to the gateway of God's good intentions. For us, the person we're trying to love, the world around us. Jesus amazingly, remarkably set aside his rights in order to love me well, <laughs> freeing me to become, become, become the kind of person that can be set free to love you well. So what that means for us is to become people who can lay aside rights that weaken our attempts at love and trust God for the good outcomes. Lay down the rights, lay down the power, lay down the pride, lay down the privileges, lay down the possessions that weaken our attempts at love. And we're trying, but weaken those attempts to trust God. Lay down leveraging our rights for our benefit in order to benefit others. Lay aside, these are just some examples your right to respect in your home, which is real. Having respect, mutual human respect is a good thing. But to lay aside that as your right, that weaken your attempts to love your family and then lead and leverage your rights for the benefit of your spouse and your kids instead of fighting to have everybody respect you. To lay aside your rights and privileges that God happened to give you as a man. Because you're a man. As a woman. As somebody who won the genetic lottery with the color of your skin. In this particular racialized society. And by the way, wherever you're out on the political spectrum, don't panic. If I were to take you to every country in in the world... Every country in the world struggles with its own version of racialized issues within its culture. And in every one of those places, people win the genetic lottery of what you get as a privilege for the color of their skin. You won a lottery ticket in that place to lay aside that right. And as a person of means, who's just happened to be born in the right family, with stored up generational wealth. All of these things, they're real. To lay aside those privileges that weaken your attempts to love your community and leverage those privileges for the benefit of those people. They don't have those privileges. They don't have them. To lay aside your right to be right. This hasn't been that big of a strong issue in this church, but I know of other pastors who are quitting in droves and are about ready to. But to lay aside your right to be right To have this church think and worship and minister the way that you think is best. And by the way, you know, okay, fine. Let's just give you the win on that. Let's say your way is the right way. Well, to lay aside your right to be right, that is straining your attempts to lovingly relate in this church body. And then just remain present and compassionately engaged with your sisters and brothers. Who cares if you're right? Lay aside your constitutional rights. That's another one that when I dare to set my foot into social media, I hear way too many Christians screaming about constitutional rights are real don't get me wrong i'm not trying to downplay that they are necessary in our democracy but to lay aside this screaming about our constitutional rights to leverage the privileges that god has granted to us in this amazing fine a great country and we're still trying to live into the dream of what it is all about and we're still working there but to do it to benefit others in our country and i know i'm tweaking people by saying that but that's my god given call Lay aside the personal wholeness and health that Jesus has privileged you to enjoy in your life and in your home over the many years you've walked with Jesus. And Jesus has done so much to bring health and healing and wholeness into your family, to lay aside the privileges that are very real in your home to enter into the messy and the uncomfortable places and relationships with people who don't yet know Jesus. See, when we enter into a quality of love that lays aside our rights, we do it trusting that God's going to bring a therefore that follows our emptying, that follows our laying aside, that follows even our humiliation. We do it trusting then's going to come a therefore. Did you see it? There's a therefore in verse 9, after Paul's illustration of the person of Jesus. After describing how Jesus loved us by making himself nothing, by taking on the nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness, and then humbling himself to the point of death on a cross, Paul said, therefore, God exalted him. It's not easy, but we can trust God in our attempts to love as people who've been radically loved by Jesus. Trusting that when our attempts at shining star love proves to be a difficult path, God can still take us by the hand, therefore, to a gateway of delight. A difficult path to a gateway of delight. We can trust God that in our attempts at shining star love, when it proves to be a costly path, God can still take us by the hand, therefore, to a gateway of celebration. A path of cost, gateway of celebration. We can trust God that when the path is a hurtful path, that God can still take us by the hand and walk us, therefore, down a pathway to a gateway of healing, from hurt to healing. And you get the picture. I'm going to invite Adam and Mercy to come on up. And as they're getting set to lead us in a time, a more extended time of worship, to just sit with this. I just want to say this. It really pains me to see the dialogues I'm seeing on social media. Um, if, if we could go back 10 or 15 years, in my humble opinion, if we could get rid of it, I think the world would maybe be a better place. But I also know I sound like a very old aging pastor when I say that. So I don't know. Maybe I'm probably wrong. But I just know there's a lot of damage that also comes with also every every new thing, right, that, that comes in into the world. But it pains me in the actual conversations I have, not just what I see on social media, but it pains me to have conversations with people who are done with church because they've been wounded. To talk, it pains me to talk with unbelievers who are scared of Christians right now. That's what they're telling me. Now, I'm, I'm grateful that they open up to me as a pastor. And I don't know, maybe they feel safe somehow in the role. But I am, it pains me to hear people say, I am scared of you people. Because the way they are describing it, you don't have to be mad at me. I'm just telling you what they've reported to me. They're experiencing Christians screaming and railing about their rights in anger against anybody who doesn't agree with them. It pains me to have those conversations. It pains me to apologize repeatedly to Christians and non-Christians alike for the lack of love that they've experienced by people from the church. You don't have to hold on to that. I'm just telling you, these are the actual conversations that I've had in the last two years. Our world needs Christians who have learned to empty ourselves and our rights as we love. Jesus needs you now more than ever to lay him down. It is not about your rights and privileges. This world needs Christians. Our world needs us to be shining stars of that kind of love. And all that I can do is to ask, please, I beg you in Jesus' name, respond to the Spirit as the Spirit speaking to you right now and tugging you into that kind of life for your own life. How I I want God to form me into this kind of shining star of love. And I certainly hope, I certainly hope that's what's stirring in your heart. Remember as we finish this, Jesus, he set aside his rights and powers and privileges in order to love you and me well. Putting us in that space of radical love so that we are freed up to become people who love others well. May God help us, God help us, give us mercy to lay aside our rights, which are always there, weakening our attempts at love, and to trust God for the outcomes when we do lay aside those rights. Let's pray. Father God, there is no way I can point fingers in this message. I have so far to go. I know by definition that when I said yes to Jesus that by definition I'm I'm considered a saint according to scripture. But in terms of the outer practice of being somebody who can love my neighbor as myself, oh my gosh, I'm still on a journey. And probably we all are. God give us grace. We need it. Give us mercy. Help us to understand that you have loved us radically. Help us to jump back into the waters of that if that's where we need to start and to remember we've been radically loved by a God who set aside his privileges and his power and his possessions and everything that came with it and out of that overflow to begin to start reaching out and loving our world and our spouse and our kids and our neighbors. God, we need help in this. So please help us. Amen.
1: Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at
0: santacruzfaith.org.